The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hey, everyone. I'm Leah Smart, and welcome to In the Arena, a LinkedIn self-development podcast. Our show explores the vulnerable aspects of the human experience to inspire transformation. This week, I'm talking to Ryan Roslansky, the CEO of LinkedIn. He's been at LinkedIn for 12 years, and most recently served as the SVP of product and user experience. Last year, he made the huge move to take over as LinkedIn's CEO as Jeff Weiner moved on to his next play. In this conversation, my goal was really to understand more about Ryan's journey, understand some of the challenges that he's had, and learn more, of course, about what LinkedIn is doing to combat some of the things that are going on in the workforce today. Mostly, I wanted you to get to know Ryan as a human. Now, a couple of things I'll highlight before you jump in. First, in Ryan's story, I recognize this. If you can't see it, you can't be it. Ryan was encouraged from a young age to be open to both learning and to failure. And those two things sit at the heart of becoming an entrepreneur. In his freshman year of college, he taught himself to code. He created a website. Apparently, this was before websites were really a thing. He focused this website on helping people find roommates. Sound familiar? Yes, he built this before Craigslist. So his experience got interesting, though, when he dropped out of college his sophomore year to actually just pursue the work on the website, housingmedia.com. Now, this is not me saying everyone should drop out of college. I don't think that's everyone's path. It's truly highlighting where influential adults at an early age combined with the people around you and how they view opportunity, risk, and work converge. These are some of the most heavily influential deciding factors when the moment arises that you have an amazing idea that's starting to work and you have to make the decision, what do I do? Fortunately, lots of us, of course, are aware now of the side hustle. You don't always have to pick A or B. In fact, it's good to be able to pick both and see what happens. But there comes that pivotal point where you have to recognize that you're sitting on an opportunity and that it needs more of you, more of your time, and more of your attention. The second thing that came up in Ryan's story is how real luck is. Now, it reminded me of the story that Malcolm Gladwell tells about Bill Gates in the book Outliers. In Bill Gates's story, it was school, it was a mother's group, and a bake sale that got him introduced to the PC. Ryan talks about luck a lot in his story and shares that it was interwoven and has been throughout his story. He has had the access the confidence, the right tools, and the appropriate way to look at risk that he has been able to move forward when opportunity called. After having his company acquired, he decided not to finish college and went on to work at Yahoo, where he had another very lucky encounter with Jeff Weiner. Ryan also humbly talks about the challenges of becoming a CEO, of trying to meet the moment when nobody knows how to meet the moment, and of the benefit of having really incredible people around you during your challenges, and probably all the time. And lastly, he talks about how LinkedIn is creating the solution to a serious workforce challenge that I am very passionate about, which is opening the path to achieving economic opportunity outside of that linear, confining, and often exclusive way to success. When I think about this, I think about the high school student who's worried about going to the best college 
and what the impact will be on their lives if they don't get in. I think about the college student who is worried about getting the highly coveted internship and what they're going to do with their life if they don't get it. Or for those of us who are already in the workforce, that fear of not loving what you do, but feeling like you're too deep in to change your mind. You're 10 years, 20 years, or 30 years into your career. How could you make the shift? We've got to change that narrative. And Ryan says the system can be better at all levels. LinkedIn's going to be a leader in supporting that improvement. Now, I've worked for LinkedIn for close to nine years in total, and I can say that I feel so fortunate to be at a company that values relationships and humanity. I also know a lot of people who feel like they don't really get access to the human side of the leaders of their companies. So I am delighted to bring this conversation to you. If you're a leader, I hope you're inspired to step a little more into your vulnerability. As one of my favorite researchers and authors, Brene Brown says, vulnerability feels like weakness in you, but it looks like courage to everybody else. All right, that's it for me. If you're not yet following Ryan on LinkedIn, you're probably going to want to. Enjoy. What do you want your life to be like coming out of COVID? The reason that's such an important question for me right now is because I believe people reflect back and gravitate towards things that feel comfortable. And one of the things that's happening right now in the world is this idea, you hear people talk about what's it going to be like when life goes back to normal, or we're going to go back to what it was like. And I fundamentally think that that is not going to be a productive way to think about things moving forward. It's less of a growth mindset. The world's evolved around us. We've all learned how to work differently. We've all learned uh, what the world looks like when we're you know, living in a pandemic and certain things evolve in different ways. And so I think it's really important for people to take a step back and you can either take control of what your future is going to look like and be proactive in in what you you think the world looks like moving forward and the role you want to play in it, or you can let it happen to you. And I'm much more an advocate of, of really taking the time to better understand what you want to be doing, what you think your life is going to look like moving forward, taking into account all the data and learnings that we've all learned uh, over the past, I guess, 18 months now. So, so if I ask you that question, what would you say? Uh, it's, it's such a good question, Ryan. I've been thinking a lot about this. I feel fortunate that in the last few years, I have really realigned with my own personal kind of purpose and mission. So cause for me is what pushes me to the, to do the work I do. I, I work towards this sense of being able to change my own corner of the world. And I think everybody can do that. So I, I actually don't think it's a whole revamp of my, my life and what I'm doing. It's really leaning deeper into it. And this might sound a little weird, but not hiding from it, right? Like actually saying, this is exactly what I'm doing. And let's see where it goes. Like buckle up for the adventure. Yeah, I love that. So just the idea that having an open mind, having more of a growth mindset being adaptable uh, through what comes next. I think that that's, that's really important. And I, it's, it's, it's funny, it's, it's very similar to how I would probably answer the question as well if I were to take a step back. You know, I've seen so many companies and so many leadership teams run into problems when they've been dogmatic about what the future of work will look like, for example. And you go back, you know, I mean, to, to last February, where it turns out in hindsight, it was actually a very easy management challenge for companies 
when the laws and the local regulations were everyone needs to, you know, work from home. That actually be, it seemed like a really crazy thing at the time. How are we going to make this work? But in hindsight, compared to what we, the world looks like now and how we're trying to navigate what potential hybrid work looks like moving forward is actually an easy challenge. But at the time, what a lot of people defaulted to or a lot of leadership's team defaulted to was, you know, end of February, it's like your company needs to go work remotely. And as a leader, I want to provide some sort of consistency or clarity or understanding. So I'm going to say that, you know, three months from now, we'll all be back in the office. And what that does is it puts a lot of people at ease. It's like, oh, OK, like, you know, got it, you know. Uh, but in reality, no one knew. And we're sitting here, you know, 15, 16, 17 months later, and the world is still you know, in a lot of chaos and there's a lot of confusion and there's a lot of uncertainty about what the world looks like or how people should be working. So the key for us and to your point, this idea of adaptability, of not being dynamic, of really having an open mind and just saying that I'm not going to, you know, get drugged deep into one specific way of thinking how the world's going to work moving forward, but I'm going to be sure that I'm aware, uh, I'm understanding, I'm adapting as it goes. I think that's the key to all of this for sure. You're talking about all the things we've realized with everything that's changing in the world and then also being adaptable. What must change as we start to move into whatever we design for the world going forward? Most importantly, the idea that the way that it's always worked isn't the way that it's going to work moving forward across many spectrums. You know, how we work, where we work, what we care about, where we put our focus, where we put our emphasis. And I think that you know, people that default back to what felt comfortable, back to I, I know how to I know how to run a company this certain way. We've run a company for 20 years this certain way. And, and boy, wouldn't it be easy if we just go back to that playbook that I knew that that thinking needs to evolve completely. You know, leadership is is about three things. It's about awareness of the situation around you, yourself, your company, the macro it's about synthesis. It's about in ensuring that you know, you're taking the right information, uh, which comes at you fast and at scale from many different you know, avenues. Synthesize the information down to understanding what's actionable, what's relevant, separating the signal from the noise. And then last but not least, inspiration. The ability, most importantly, to first inspire yourself and find conviction inside yourself that then allows you to inspire a broader group of people around how you want to lead moving forward. And for right now, all three of those things are critical. An awareness of, you know, and I'll bring this back down to a, to a LinkedIn perspective for, for the company, an awareness of how the company is currently performing, which has been great. It's been great despite the fact that we've been in a pandemic. Awareness of how our employees are thinking about it, awareness of how our, our uh, constituents, our customers, our partners, the government, how everyone around us is kind of doing it. There's this constant, you know, understanding and awareness of everything going around us that at least I am running through on a you know, hourly, daily basis of looking at all these different constituents, then it's synthesizing that down into, you know, where is the signal and the noise? You need to listen to what everyone says and everyone's thoughts and everyone's opinions and everyone's beliefs. But you look for trends and patterns and you, you know, you, if you just, if you allow pure information flow at scale to be happening to you without synthesizing it, you will go crazy because there's just so many competing things and competing priorities that the constituents around us have about how we run our business and what we do. So it's synthesizing that down into a strategic set of things. And then most importantly, finding that conviction inside of yourself, inside of myself, in terms of what does that mean for how we lead the company moving forward? I'm really proud of what we did in the March timeframe of last year, which was 
following that same kind of pattern, it was an awareness that, oh, you know what, the, the world seems to be changing. Some people are saying that the pandemic is going to go away in a month or two, but I'm hearing all these different signs and signals. I'm looking at cases rising in other parts of the world. I'm going to synthesize that data and take it down to the idea that, you know what, I don't think that this is a short-term thing for our company or what we offer for the world. So awareness synthesis down to like, this is going to change and then inspiration and action. And inspiration for me was like, I have conviction that the world is not going to go back to normal and we are going to need to uh, take immediate steps inside of the company to change how we think, what we do, what we act, what we build, how we build to ensure that our platform exists and can help the world navigate what they're about to go and navigate through. And by the way, how, what we thought about in March is different now. <laughs> like last March is different now a year later. And you know what? It's going to be different three months from now. So it's just constant adaptation, learning as you go, growth mindset. Yeah, I love the the threes. I mean, we all think in, in rules of three. So I love that you've brought it down to this awareness, synthesis, and then inspiration. And I'm probably going to pull back to inspiration for you. You know, this has been probably a, the, one of the most wild years, I'd have to guess, for you professionally, you know, moving into this role as CEO and then being part of this, you know, change in, in the world that's monumental for us. What keeps you going? You said conviction. What keeps you convicted to keep moving forward? Yeah. So, you know, my, my thinking on this just constantly evolves as well. And, and I'll tell you, you know, uh, very open, honest and transparently, this has been really, really hard. And, you know, for the first couple of months, I, I dwelled a lot on that. So, you know, the, the levels of difficulty here have compounded in this situation. Number one, becoming a CEO in general for anyone is difficult. It's not a role that you learn to do unless you're actually doing the role, no matter what anyone tells you. Fundamentally, being the person where the buck stops, being um, ultimately responsible is only something that you can learn while doing the job. So number one, becoming a CEO at any time is difficult. Number two, becoming the CEO of a well-known consumer internet brand raises the level of difficulty because everything that's happening, the change, the transformation, the, you know, the internet, it's all happening publicly in the eye of a social platform uh, that we work with. So the level of difficulty is raised there. So those two things, by the way, actually, one more. When you are taking over for one of the most amazing, charismatic, just highly regarded leaders in the history of companies, that just raises the level even more. But all those things... Going into it, those were those were three things that I knew that I was was getting into. Now, doing that going into a global pandemic absolutely raises the level of difficulty even further. Uh, going into that during a time of you know social and racial injustice that's coming to a head uh, in the country and globally raises that level of detail even further. So there's just layers of difficulty that have happened here. And I'll tell you, you know, three months in, I was like, oh, my goodness, like this is this is nuts. This is really hard. You know, you don't get to choose to be a leader only when things are easy. That's for sure. And then you look around and it's it's ridiculous. I mean, what am I to think that only I'm having, you know, a hard time right now? The whole world is having a hard time. So I think about three months in, I, I really had to switch my my mentality, you know, to the point where, you know, evolve and adapt and say, hey, like this, this is it. This is what's happening around us right now. Quitting is not an option. Giving up is not an option. And in our case, 
uh, our platform failing is not an option because LinkedIn sits at the middle of so much of what the world is trying to navigate right now. And unless we move forward, unless we get our act together, unless we evolve as a company, as a platform, it's not only impacting me, it's not only impacting us as employees, it's impacting the tens of millions of people every single day that are trying to connect and find opportunity and learn skills uh, across our platform. So you quickly move into like action mode, but we got to go, we got to get this right. Yes, it's hard, but how do we really ground ourselves in what we need to do? And, and for me, that was, you know, the right people around us. I'm so grateful for, you know, starting with the executive team that we have at the company, but then the employee base who understands fundamentally what we're here for. You know, we're a company driven by a strong vision. We're a company that sits at the intersection of doing good and doing well in the world. We have an employee base that rallies behind that, that understands the importance that we play. And it's, you know, I'm so fortunate to, to kind of be in a place where that's the people that we're surrounded by. And, and we're, you know, that's the culture that we've grown up with, the culture that we've driven over the past 18 years and evolved at the company. So it starts there. And then we had a plan, you know, we, we the right people, the, the right plan, and then you start to execute. And I, I think we've navigated a lot of it very well. It goes back to the, you know, awareness, the sense of this and the and inspiration. But looking at where we are right now, which is in, you know, mid 2021, I feel I feel pretty fortunate for the place that we're at and how we've navigated. Now, look, like you and I've been talking about this whole time, the world is still changing. It's still evolving. We have to constantly be navigating around it. But, you know, I think I think for me, it was, you know, figuring out the right way to navigate through. And I've always said that it takes in any new job. My belief is that it takes like eight to nine months before you actually really understand what you're what you're doing or you know, kind of get your your mojo around the role. And that was absolutely the case uh, for me. But I was fortunate to have um, so many great people around us to help us through it. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise. A promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. A promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hi, I'm Tomer Korn, LinkedIn's Chief Product Officer. On my podcast, Building One, we dive deep into what it takes to build great products. Recently, we had Zach Perret, the CEO of Plaid, and he shared about his struggles building a financial app for consumers and how he was able to turn it all around with a critical pivot. Take a listen. I personally couldn't resonate as much with the consumer set that we were trying to reach. I just didn't have that level of empathy. When we made the shift to building a B2B product, though, I was building the product that I wanted. My co-founder and I were creating the product that we wanted ourselves, and we had so much empathy for what that product was. Such a great insight. You know, in that sense, we got lucky because we were were creating a thing for ourselves. And then the people that we were talking to also had the same problems we did. They were fintech developers. We'd been a fintech developer. uh, We'd been trying to build a fintech product for a year. And so... We had such deep empathy. We had such a clear ability to... If you want to hear more of Zach Perret's story and the lessons that follow, listen and subscribe to my podcast, Building One. One of the things LinkedIn as a company is navigating is this democratization of access or access to well-paying jobs and redistributing wealth essentially is what we're talking about. And you've talked a bit about this, this new era of talent and opportunity What connects you personally to this skill-based approach to how companies will hire people in the future? It's a great question. I mean, taking a step way back, I think it's evidence 
I mean, if you take an objective view of the world, talent is equally distributed throughout the world. Opportunity is not. And we play a fundamental role in ensuring that talent is equally distributed with opportunity globally around the world. And that's what drew me to work here, you know, what is now 12 years ago. It's just this idea that, you know, LinkedIn can become this platform to help connect talent opportunity at massive scale, which, which we've been able to do. And we're scratching the surface, but there's a lot, a lot to do there. What I learned growing up, and it's because, you know, p- p- people always ask me like, hey, Ryan, what's, you know, what's been the key to, to your success or becoming a CEO? And, and the reality is it's three things. And they all happen to be the same word. It's luck. <laughs> Number one, I was very lucky to be born where I was to who I was when I was. Number two, I was lucky that my parents pushed me to be entrepreneurial, that they gave me that kind of autonomy and, and upbringing and flexibility to be entrepreneurial uh, around the way where I push myself to be curious and to learn and to, to fail and to, to find opportunities. And then third is luck that I, gosh, maybe, you know, 20 years ago that I met someone that I worked with named Jeff Weiner, who became the, the CEO uh, of LinkedIn. And then I came here and worked with him. And now, you know, I'm lucky to be in this role. But like, I mean, in th- that story, like there are Dozens of millions of people who can, you know, or could be in a role like this. And I'm very aware of how lucky I have been along the way to to end up in this position. One of the most important things that I learned along the way because of the luck that I was set up to have is I was a freshman in college. And this was a long time ago, much older than you, Leah. This was like 1996. And I don't know what I was majoring in, by the way. I had no idea. I think it was like political science or economic. I think it was also Spanish. I was, <laughs> I was like fluent in Spanish. That was like a, I really wanted to major in Spanish. But what we saw the first couple of months in our dorm room was, hey, they were kind of like the schools are preparing you. Once you are done being a freshman, you have to find roommates to live with off campus or a place to live off campus. And it was just this kind of thing in the background. And the internet was brand new, literally. Like we were kind of using email. P- people were, you know, using the web a little bit. But my roommate and I were, who were, you know, entrepreneurial in general, were kind of like, hey, wouldn't it be cool if you could use the internet to find a place to live? I could find a roommate. And so I-, I think I stopped thinking about whatever I was supposed to be doing around political science or Spanish or economics. And I, you know, grabbed a couple of books and taught myself how to code taught myself how to uh, build a website, taught myself how to build graphics online and started this, you know, small website just kind of basically for our dorm, which was like, hey, you want to find a roommate or someone to live with? Like, put your name in here. We got a form and it's like, find someone else. And it took off. It was crazy. Uh, It took off like wildfire. And then that grew more inside of our school and it grew more inside of our community, (laughs) grew more inside of our town. It grew more to kind of towns outside of us. This was before Craigslist, by the way. I probably should have said that. And it just kind of took off and it became a business. And we found an opportunity to, to sell the company. And then, you know, and instead of me going back to school, I went and worked at Yahoo for a while and kind of, you know, had my career move that way. But, but what it taught me was the ability to learn skills on my own to find opportunity and the idea that access to opportunity and access to you know, success in certain cases isn't always just this one linear path of you have to go to college, you have to 
you know, go to a grad school, you have to get an MBA, you have to learn these things, you have to be a consultant, whatever that might be. And what that then showed me was, hey, look, wow, a way that a lot of the world has worked historically has been through these historical, comfortable ways of finding talent. You know, hey, hey, we need to hire someone at LinkedIn. Well, you know, where did they go to? Did they go to the right school? Like, did they, did they, were they, you know, in this consulting field? Like, did they use all these markers of whether or not someone can be successful in a role because there is no better way to do it. But what you really want to find and what you really learn over time and what you really see through a lot of LinkedIn data and what you see through personal experiences, in a lot of cases, the most effective people that can do a job uh, in some of those effective roles have non-traditional paths. And if that's the case, and if that becomes more of the, the truth, wow, how do we help open up the world to understand this? Because if you're able to pull this off and the world isn't limited by, you know, traditional ways of thinking that automatically take wide pools of people and start to narrow them based on an ability to go to college or afford college or then go to grad school, but opens up that opportunity. Like that's super powerful right now in the U S for example, you know, 50% of college graduates are graduating either unemployed or underemployed. So that's not a good thing. And for the first time in U.S. history, credit card debt is being outpaced by student loan debt. So you look at this and it's like you have a bunch of people who are, you know, parents who are using their life savings or people who are trying to find any way to afford going through this college or system because that's what they think is the path to opportunity. But they're not graduating with the opportunities that they thought. So the system can be better. So that's where I think LinkedIn plays a great role to help people, one, identify what skills are actually really important to learn. One of my favorite stories here, if you go back maybe five or six years ago, what I really learned was, was what I was seeing in the LinkedIn data. We have great access to understand through the LinkedIn economic graph where supply demand exists in the world, thus where skills gaps actually exist in the world. And this was somewhere, I think it was in Jacksonville, Florida. We were looking at some really interesting trends that were happening. And it was around marketing roles, entry-level marketing roles, where you had a bunch of companies that were posting entry-level marketing roles on LinkedIn and a bunch of college graduates. And I think it was around, you know, coming out of Florida, Florida State, kind of that general area with marketing degrees. And these two things were not matching up. Like these roles were going unfilled and these college students were not finding opportunity. So you look deeper into the data and it's fascinating what you find. The roles that these companies were posting or looking for required, very logically, by the way, that you knew how to use Google Analytics, that you know how to do viral marketing on Facebook or Instagram. These very practical, real world skills that you need to be a successful marketer right now. These poor college students are graduating after four years of college with an amazing education, a tremendous, you know, expensive marketing degree. But what they learned was a lot of the important, like theoretical, you know, parts of marketing, like history of marketing and case studies and things like that. What they didn't have, unfortunately, was practical skills for what you needed to succeed right now as a marketer. And not to say one is more important than the other, but like the rounded out component is important. And looking at that, and it's like, oh, you know what? We can help here <laughs> because we have recruiters who are like, please, I need to hire someone who knows how to use Google Analytics. Help me find that. Right. That's when we acquired lynda.com because we knew that we could go and we could put 
in front of these students, like, hey, here's a three-hour learning path. You can learn Google Analytics, viral marketing on Facebook, uh, et cetera. There's an assessment at the end of that. And the second that you like finish that and show that you know it, there's literally a recruiter right here who's looking to hire you to connect with opportunities. So we acquired Linda.com. We started to see this play out. We found an ability to help people find these practical skills where they need quickly and effectively through our platform. We're tied into recruiters who trust the assessments that we do. And all of a sudden, we were able to scale this across the world where skills gaps exist to help people find access to opportunity and you know to not put themselves into massive debt uh, across the board. So, And we're just scratching the surface here. Now, can you teach anyone in the world to you know do something through an online Online course? Absolutely not. Like you're not going to become a neurosurgeon, but how can we help universities to be teaching the right skills? How, how could we have shared with universities that, hey, you all should be teaching courses on Google Analytics or whatever these tools are because you have a ton of local businesses that are trying to find talent in those spaces and then help them, you know, people learn skills on LinkedIn, help connect talent opportunity, help ensure everyone is using a similar skills taxonomy. And that's an exciting role that we play. I think that if we pull that off, you're going to start to find that we can kind of break the antiquated way of thinking that there's only one path to opportunity and a path that requires narrowing the talent pool, a path that requires a lot of blocks and gates to opportunity for many people. We can really start to open that up. But this is one of those things where I, you know, I'll tell the story to people and they're like, yeah, Ryan, the world, world doesn't work that way. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's never worked that way. And that makes me more excited because I fundamentally believe that we can help the world evolve and work better. And that's what's so special about working at LinkedIn. Even though this is going to happen overnight, this is a five to 10 to 20 year path for for us and our company. But when I see people on LinkedIn, and by the way, this is happening more and more frequently now, who will send me a note and they're like, hey, Ryan, you know, I just took this LinkedIn learning course. After I took it, I put it on the scale of my profile. Then a recruiter reached out to me. And now I have a job I never thought that I would have had. And, you know, we owe our lives to this platform in terms of what you're doing. That's special. And you know what? That used to be like something we'd hear infrequently six years ago. It's something that we hear dozens of times a day these days, which is really exciting. It's really exciting. As you've shared your story, what I'm hearing and what I've been thinking about a lot lately is, you know, in a narrative arc, there's always a plot twist, right? I keep hearing these kind of themes of different plot twists that you've had at work and in life. And what I'm hearing is, you know, you being able to apply, you know, you mentioned luck, but also bravery and your own talents and the talents of others around you to be able to change your corner of the world. And as you mentioned, people saying, well, that doesn't happen in the real world or that's not how it works for everyone. What advice would you give to people who are coming up on their own plot twists or inflection points when it comes to how they show up in them. I think this is the key to all of it, Leah, and your ability to, to like navigate this conversation right down to that question, which I think is at the heart of so many things, is, is super impressive. You know, you're going to go through life and you're going to hear so many different thoughts and opinions and different ways of thinking from people around you. And it's funny, I'm going to go back to that rule of three. Like the awareness of what's going on around you is critical, by the way. The TLDR answer to your question is, is conviction. It's having that belief in conviction in yourself and what you think, how you think, and the life that you want to lead. How do you get there? Number one, I believe it's being extremely aware of what's going on around you constantly learning, constantly evolving. This idea that I know best and no one can tell me different and I know the exact answer. I mean, maybe someone, you know, I mean, people like maybe Steve Jobs has that. I I don't know. But like, you know, I definitely don't have it. So for me, I'm constantly trying to learn and be aware of what I'm seeing around me. Synthesize it into the things that matter that I know are important, separating the signal from the noise. 
and then finding that conviction to say, you know, hey, I think that we can help create a much better way of working in the world. And having people are like, no, I don't see that. I'm scared of that. It's, it doesn't resonate with how I think or what I've learned. And to take that input, but to have the conviction of what it is you want to see, what it is you want to do and how you want to live your life is the key to all that. Still adapting along the way and, and, and adopting new ways of thinking. But if you don't have that conviction at your core, you're going to you know, let the world kind of throw you around in different ways based on you know, different views, different opinions, what you're hearing at the time. And that's not the way to live. The way to live is to have the conviction to know what you want. You know, I'll meet, I'm meeting later today with our intern class. And the number one question that they're going to ask me is, you know, what, what should I be thinking about? And the real answer is, what is it you want to do? And it's funny. It's the question you and I started with today. What is it that you want to be doing in your life? What is your vision? And not your vision for today. What is your 20, 30, 40-year vision of what you want your life to be like? And once you have that plan and that foundational conviction, what is you're trying to accomplish you're in a much better path to to accomplish it. You're not going to be swayed by things that are constantly, you know, pulling you off, which by the way is human nature. And for our listeners, I've loved Ryan seeing every time you've talked about conviction, you've put your hand on your heart, which tells me where that comes from. So that's pretty powerful. So I'd love for you to complete these three statements. Better humans are. Better humans are, and it's not going to surprise you, they're adaptable. This Charles Darwin quote It's not the strongest of the species that survives. It's not the most intelligent that survives. It's the one that is most adaptable to change. I think we've all learned that uh, the importance of that right now. And better work is? Better work is meaningful work. It's work that you wake up every day excited to go and do. It's work that naturally aligns to your passion and your skill. Sometimes people say passion or sometimes people say skill. The exclusion of one another, I think that it's the intersection of both those things where you actually truly find better work. All right. And then finally, a better world has. A better world has compassion, 100%. You know, I'm not going to go into the whole definition of compassion, but, but fundamentally it's the ability to put yourself in someone else's shoes and to help them navigate whatever it is they're going through. And I think if you, if you look at what's happening right now over the past couple of years in the world, there's been a lot of tribalism that's that's evolved and just automatic opinion that someone who thinks differently than me, they're wrong. Or, you know, I hold my view and only my view is right. If you could just start to break that down a bit and put yourself in someone else's shoes, start to understand where they're coming from, you know, start to understand where you're coming from, be a spectator to your own thoughts. What that does is what you talked about before. What that does is, is quickly it starts to to change the dynamic of how people interact and it starts to create a kinder an understanding world. This doesn't mean everyone has to get along, but you have to understand where someone's coming from. And to your point earlier, there's a compounding effect there. There's a compounding effect of people being compassionate and putting yourself in someone else's shoes and understanding where they're coming from. And the more that happens, the better world we're going to live in. Love it. Thank you, Ryan. And thank you for changing your corner of the world. I love being able to be here with you at LinkedIn and and do this work. We're on the journey together. I love this podcast. Love what you're doing. You're fully embracing the life that you want to lead as well. Uh, And thank you so much for everything you do for the company. Thank you. Our show is hosted by me, Leah Smart, and is produced by the amazing LinkedIn media production team. Gratitude to Dan Mills, Nicole Roach, Andy Ta, Katya Kostakova, and Lamia Bowden. Dan Lujan is the mastermind behind the scenes. Chris Eldridge did our cover art, and our music is from the ever-growing collection of APM Music. If you like our show, go on Apple Podcasts to subscribe and rate us. And if the spirit moves you, leave a review. 
It helps our work get out to more people like you who benefit from it. And if you want to stay in touch, subscribe to our newsletter. It's on LinkedIn and it's called In the Arena. And lastly, you can feel free to email me at inthearena at linkedin.com. Thanks for coming on the journey with me and I'll see you next time. Can you share more about this podcast and why you started it and what you're hoping to accomplish with it? This podcast started because two and a half years ago, Jackie and I realized that there were so many conversations that weren't being had at work. And even at an amazing place like LinkedIn, there were still things we weren't sharing that were part of our experience and they impact us. And so my deep belief is like, you are who you are, whether you're at work or you're at home, your challenges follow you everywhere. And I think, you know, COVID has really accelerated that understanding. But the idea was, and the idea continues to be, how do we explore these things so that we can all become more of who we truly are, no matter where we are. And my foundation for that is, When people spend more time developing themselves, observing themselves, and transforming themselves, they then, by nature, transform other people around them, and then the world transforms. And so that's really the goal is like, dig into your own transformation, your own development, so you can be better for others, who then will be inspired to be better for themselves, better for others. I love it. There's a natural compounding effect on that, which I think is super powerful. And I think that it's truly great. You had a line in there. It was about allowing people to be who they are, where they are. And that's just such, I mean, you said it much better than I just repeated it, but that's such a powerful concept. And I think that, uh, I think you're really onto something here. So, okay. So love that. So then you, you the, the way that you do the podcast is you have this question that you asked like a big meaty question at the beginning. Tell me more about where that came from. It's self-reflection, right? So it's like, it's for us, it's for the interviewer, uh, what's on your mind now? And how can you ask something, you know, obviously, you know, rhetorical, because it's just you and I, but ask something rhetorical that people can actually spend time thinking about. Good for you. I love it. I love it.